I think it's a slowly changing view. This idea that the sketchbook is is art, and I like I like that about urban sketching. It sort of flattens uh, some of those hierarchies because we work in different media. Uh, even within urban sketching, there's no hierarchy of that. the Sneaky Art Podcast. I'm your host, Nishant Jain. With this podcast, I have conversations with people across the world who like to draw or paint their urban environment from observation. It's a practice known as urban sketching and it's followed by thousands of people all over the world who take time out of their day to appreciate their surroundings and to notice its little beautiful details. I think you will enjoy listening to this podcast if you're interested in learning to be a better artist or even if you're simply looking for a positive way to engage with the world around you. My guest today is Suhita Shirodkar, an artist, urban sketcher and educator in San Jose, California. Suhita's sketches are quick because they're drawn in brief moments of calm that she finds in her busy life. You can tell that she's always working against time. It seems she does not even stop to think, or to put it better, she does not even stop to hesitate. Her work is driven by instinct, and this makes her more sensitive to moments of inspiration in her surroundings. A lot of her drawings are made under 30 minutes, because that is the only kind of time she's able to give. And this influences her work in important and interesting ways. For example, by simply letting the five-minute drawing be a possibility, she is mentally alert to a wider range of drawing opportunities than the typical artist. Secondly, the time reflects the themes and the subjects that she ends up exploring. Her work depicts everyday life, but it is dynamic. People who are doing things, and moments that are interesting but fleeting. You can't capture that kind of art unless you're willing to work at speed, and that can mean a lot of stylistic sacrifices. It can mean discomfort. It can mean lowering the bar on the quote-unquote perfect lines and shapes and volumes. But as Suhita's work shows us, there is a lot to gain as well. We talk about her sketching style in this conversation while also learning about how she came to be an urban sketcher, the benefit of the online community in her life, and the interesting ways in which she is reaching out to her students during lockdown. I hope you enjoy this conversation and thank you for joining me. Hello, Suhita, and I'm happy to have you here in the Sneaky Art Podcast. Hi, it's nice to be here. Suhita, I really like your art because of a very simple, like a very basic reason. As soon as I see it, I can sort of understand how it came to be. I can see your lines and I can understand how time is a very big factor in your drawings. You, you seem to draw quickly and you seem to draw very instinctively. I also see the role that color and uh, uh, lines play and how the art, the content itself is like a journal of your everyday life. Just to start today's conversation, I want to talk about how time seems to be such a big factor in your drawings. Can you tell me about that? Sure. Uh, 
So I must start with the fact that I think the way I draw is what comes to me naturally. So I'm often asked about drawing quickly and how I draw. And I can I can def I definitely have thoughts on that and what it brings to my work, but primarily it's just how I've always drawn. Uh, I've drawn all my life, but I think this this uh I would say this last 11 year phase of drawing on an almost continual basis. Uh that's been defined by the fact that I started drawing in little pockets of time between a full-time job and a two and four-year-old. Uh, and and just that, I think, dictated how I could draw, small in a book, and where I drew, which is uh, wherever I am when I find a little bit of time. Um, my subjects also became uh, what was around me, which is two toddlers. They move. Time, time, um, the time you have at a certain spot or the time you get to capture something is short. So I think it started with that. I can't say it, might, it may be what I'm, I've always been comfortable with. Um, I don't have a plan or a vision for what I draw, but I do draw where I am. And even for somebody who loves to travel, and this is pre-COVID, of course, and travels a lot, that still 90, 95% of my life is pretty domestic and at home right and I don't um I draw all the time so I'm not just a when I travel drawer so so just by by default what I'm drawing is mostly what my life is which is pretty domestic and about kids and home <laughs> and I feel like because you are open to drawing all the time a lot of these things are kind of complementing each other the fact that you are you allow yourself a little time or, or let's say life allows you little time to give to every drawing because of that it almost opens up this opportunity that you mentally are available to draw at any given snatch uh, snatched period of time that you find if you find 20 minutes you can think of it as a drawing opportunity whereas if somebody is used to drawing for an hour or longer, then a 20-minute uh, span of time does not occur to them as a drawing opportunity. That's right. That's right. And I think my life is kind of set up to draw everywhere, even now that we are just in the house. I think there's sketchbooks almost everywhere. Right. <laughs> and whatever <laughs> drawing tool is available, because I'm not, I don't draw in one book, finish it. It's, it's whatever is there. Uh, and I think it's primarily because the act of drawing is what I love. So, so to some people, it's the act of going back through your journals and looking at what you collected or uh, the narrative and it being in order. And I have to say, for me, it's, it is about putting pen to paper. And so it's great if it ends up in a book and tells a narrative. But primarily, I want to put pen to paper, even if it's never going to exist after that. Yeah. And in like this, this doing it for the joy of doing it, that's such a powerful motivator and it makes the results so unnecessary. And somehow that's also the best way to get to the good results. Yeah, I, I do think so. I think at least for me, it's very true that um, the fact that I have come to just enjoy the act of it and it's very removed from it. It's fantastic to end up to look back later and say, oh, that worked or that captured what I wanted to. Uh, but just the act is what's primary to what I love to do. It does help. It helps me be, um, it, it's true. It helps you be less focused on what happens in the end. And oddly, that always, always seems to help end results. Yeah. It's also so interesting to me that all of these elements uh, the having limited time, 
enjoying to draw, uh, spending time in drawing and also drawing domestic life. All of these elements come together through urban sketching. So, and it just seems to work with urban sketching on all of these fronts. None of this is a disqualifier. None of it is a disadvantage. All of it makes a great urban sketch. Yeah, so I'm also really curious to know how urban sketching came to your life and how did you come to drawing in general and then even to urban sketching and drawing from observation? So like I said, I started drawing on this sort of regular basis about 11 years ago. And um, it was because I had two little kids. All of my life seemed to be either I worked full time in advertising then and there were two kids. And so everything was sort of outward and I was not doing a thing for myself. And realistically, it was not going to be something big. And I've drawn all my life. But I have to say, after I went to graphic design school, I drew less than ever before in my life (laughs) and advertising really didn't include very much drawing and I really missed the very tactile act of drawing Um, realistically at that point in my life it was going to be little bits of time a a sketchbook seemed doable it it's a mobile studio if you have a sketchbook you're in the playground with your kids and I get bored easily of pushing kids around in a swing so I let them run around and I can draw And uh, that's just how it started. My early, um, before I knew Urban Sketchers, I found Danny Gregory's book, Everyday Matters, and also his online, his Yahoo group. There used to be a Yahoo group for Everyday Matters. And that's what um, I became part of and posted them. And that's where I met the first online, the first urban sketches I met. I don't think I knew about urban sketches. I'm sure I met quite a few. One of the early ones I remember who was also on Everyday Matters was Liz Steele. And from that, I came to know of urban sketches. And then I think I really came to know of them around when they were having their first symposium. And I had little kids and it was I was drawing only around home and not traveling much. And it's like, one day I will go to this. And But I, but I started going online and then I started, uh, I became a correspondent at some point on the blog, which used to be much more active a while ago. And... Uh, I can't remember how many years back Barcelona is. The Barcelona Symposium, six or seven years ago, I applied to be correspondent. Never been to one, terrified at the idea of doing it. And I got in and I was correspondent. So that was my first ever symposium. It was quite something. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was, it was, a. it happened, it came out of things. I followed up on it. It was an, mostly an online group for me to, you know, to, post and share it and also to see other people's worlds so it was nice to even though my world was little at this point I got to see uh, bigger and different worlds and we had one common thread right I, I really like that that we had one common thread that we love to draw and everything else is super diverse I find it hard to have super diverse friends but in urban sketches you have like a huge diversity yeah, It's so interesting to speak to the different urban sketchers who have all been, say, even people who've been in it for 10, 15 years, people who've been in it for five years, and at all various levels. It's amazing how the global online community uh, is an entryway because you get to see so many different styles. You get to see so many different types of influences and it lowers all these entry barriers. So somebody who... You know, if you are trying to join any group of artists, there is always an entry barrier about, am I also an artist? Can I call myself that kind of artist? Can I call myself even an artist at all? But Urban Sketchers offers these 
these ways to be part of a community which is doing something it enjoys without any form of entry barriers there's no entry barrier of medium there's no entry barrier of skill level there's no entry barrier of education it it sort of takes the focus off uh the craft i mean the craft of drawing is it, i think it matters a big deal but not to be drawing to start drawing you just have to want to draw and in urban sketches if you are drawing the world around you whatever that is and you are willing to share it at that point you're an urban sketcher and that's a i love that that you can be working on learning to draw you can be getting better at all this you can be anywhere in the journey but we're all urban sketchers if we will draw and share our world yeah yeah and almost uh, like i say this uh, i said this recently to somebody that i i almost find it more fascinating to talk to an urban sketcher for whom art is not like their primary vocation and avocation as well it's part of their life from a deliberate choice that they have made as adults and so that's like such a conscious decision and it's a much more admirable decision almost than in a yeah. way than somebody who is doing it because they've been inclined towards it since early childhood this is the things that they've been good at yeah yeah it's it, it's it's interesting who comes to urban sketching right because in in many other art forms you have to have training in it there's all this stuff that you have to definitely have in in many forms actually of in many things you call yourself you have to have an academic qualification that makes you something i know a lot of artists who are very good at making art in different different ways some of them are good at digital art some of them are good with various other traditional tools but often a lot of people feel intimidated by the prospect of drawing on location and i think that's true for many artists who work in the studio right because the challenges are different one you can never fully plan what you are going to draw you can't account for the circumstances where you're going to stand sit paint how hot or cold it's going to be also i think for a lot of people that work from that work from photographs it it is a different skill to translate from life and three dimension and then for people who draw uh, things that move <laughs> well, well and it's surprising how many people don't draw people but if you're drawing from life and you're drawing things that move that's a completely third other level so i do see that i do think there are things that are especially challenging about being urban sketching i think the the sort of uh, intimidation comes if you think you have to produce a studio like piece on location yeah because it's an exchange you don't have uh, often you don't end up with the finish of a studio piece but you exchange it for spontaneity you might exchange it for energy uh, so so i think it's when you're unwilling to give up what you can do in studio and um, not willing to new, learn the new stuff that it's hard but otherwise uh, i i don't see anything especially intimidating if you're willing to just think of it as a new art form that's so true it's almost like there is a monolithic idea of what finished art should look like uh, in a previous episode which i just recorded recently i also spoke with uh, donald colley and we were talking about how people almost think of sketchbooks as low art uh, because he was narrating an incident uh, uh, an experience in which he spoke to somebody who looked at his sketchbook and they said i would love to have bought it if it wasn't on sketchbook paper 
That's true. I think in in art, there are so many levels of hierarchy. And I hope by just doing what we do and calling it art, we, um, you know, you change views slowly, but uh, you remove these hierarchies. I mean, there's a zillion hierarchies. There used to be when working in permanent media, I mean, oil painters, above watercolorists, above people. And, and people will often ask you things like, what do you do with the stuff in your sketchbook? Like it's going to become other pieces or, but, but it's, um, I think it's a slowly changing view, this idea that the sketchbook is, is art. And I like, I like that about urban sketching. It sort of flattens uh, some of those hierarchies because we work in different media. Uh, even within urban sketching, there's no hierarchy of whether you're a water, work in watercolor or in pen and ink, or whether you're using crayons, or whether you're using colored pencils, you know, and I, and I like that. It, it, you don't need to have these artificial levels of things in art. Yeah, and I guess even with the proliferation of digital art and from a background in graphic design, you must have these thoughts about what is high art altogether, because maybe these values are just ascribed to things that are... Uh, like the product of their time. Like I feel like when I look at fine art, it's it was the primary way to remember and to record their lives. Yes, and also, you know, historically, art that was in what was considered permanent media was uh, more valued. I mean, if you go back in history, uh, there was even a hierarchy of what women worked in and men. So men worked in oil paints and they could do sculpture. Women were confined to... Um, arts in non-permanent media so basket making would be fine clay may with working with clay would be fine not marble not oil paint so so there's always been this hierarchy of what is at the top you look at the price of oil painting and watercolor right now when you're buying paintings same size um could be same skill level and oil painting still in general costs more than watercolor we have all these hierarchies, they need to go. I've often been confused by pricing on this. And <laughs> any layperson, anyone from the outside, this is what confounds them most about this, the world of art and how it operates, is what seems like such absurd prices. But of course, we're talking about very expensive fine art. But in general, uh, even in the episode with Uma, we were talking about this, how different people are differently disposed to spending money on art and what they consider to be uh, finished art therefore plays a factor sure, in that. Sure, sure. I think it will get democratized, this idea. It comes slowly. Uh, but I always remember when I first moved to the US, I've been here a long time, about 20 years. Um, when I first moved to California, there was still huge snobbery around the idea of wine. And then came Trader Joe's with their, I don't know, Tubak Chuck? And, and, and that it broke a lot of barriers. And I'm... I really think working in sketchbooks will do that for a lot of art. This idea that there might be, there might still remain at some rarefied level all this snobbery, but for most people, what you enjoy, you should be able to say that's what, and you know, you don't have to learn about how to appreciate and buy art, buy the art you love, have the art you love on your walls, wherever it comes from. And I, I really hope that that snobbery goes out of it. And this also, with the snobbery comes an intimidation of people who feel they don't know enough to know what they like, which is such an odd thing. You know what you like, you know what you're attracted to. And in that respect, also, I find urban sketching is such a democratic way of 
approaching art not only as a person who's looking at it but also as a person who's creating it because we also uh, set aside these notions of what is a good enough subject matter correct often when you're making art people are just uh, they they lose hope in the first stance of choosing what to draw it doesn't like for years it would not occur to me what can i draw what is worthy of being drawn more than what is it that i need to learn and what can i find beauty in and i think for that this idea of drawing what you see where you are is a uh, super important actually uh, you know last year i taught i wouldn't call it an urban sketching workshop but i taught an observational drawing workshop to a bunch of elementary school kids in an indian village this is close to where my parents have a mango farm and what blew my mind is those kids the first day i said we are going to draw a house from and we said from the village we'll go walk we'll find a house and we'll sit and draw it and what really surprised them is that we were going to draw something from their village they thought you know she came from america we'll draw something there are subjects worth drawing and subjects not and they said this house this house in our village and uh, it really struck me that uh, there shouldn't be this idea that there are things worth drawing and thing then something has to be worthy of drawing but um yeah it often exists right that and also this checklist when you go to a city did you draw abc if you were in san francisco and you didn't draw the golden gate bridge were you in san francisco silly idea very silly idea i felt that exact pressure because i've been to san francisco since becoming an urban sketcher maybe two or three times and i have never drawn the golden gate bridge and i don't think i will ever draw it because drawing that kind of civil architecture doesn't appeal me sure, at all sure sure and there's so many ways to draw a place right it doesn't have to just be about it i mean to to me i often do draw these big things in a city if i travel to a place like that but i almost think of it as like if it attracts me to get it out of my system for because i draw fast it's often possible to draw out those first you know like going to india and drawing the taj mahal if i draw it out then i will look closer so i'm okay with that but i i certainly don't think that like drawing the golden gate bridge is a better idea of san francisco than sitting at a street corner and drawing what you see so right tell me a little bit more about then the kind of things that you love to draw so if you are at a street corner what is it that you want to see in front of you what are the kind of things that someone would find in your pages so for me to when i draw i really go out with a something i want to draw a lot of drawing happens uh, when i'm going somewhere and i see something sometimes i can't stop and then i'll make a note to come back but often uh, what i like to do is leave open a window to be able to stop so say i have an appointment i will drive there 20 minutes early because if i see i don't know a construction truck on the way i want to be able to stop and draw the construction site so so it's what I try to be flexible to what appears. Um that said there's certain subjects I love. I love drawing people. I love drawing um city life. In fact, as an urban sketcher, I'm always amazed when people uh don't draw people. Uh cuz uh they draw the whole city and to me cities are, we construct this whole architectural urban landscape. 
for use by people right and and you know in those exact words is what i just said in like the previous conversation and now people are going to listen to this podcast and think that we have a script because <laughs> i said exactly literally just that what you no, just it always amazes me it's like it's like drawing a hive without the bees it has no purpose it's it's always amazes me that and especially when people draw say they draw times square or they draw a, or you draw a city that it was not until covid ever empty streeted so where where's that where's what we built this these huge huge things exactly for? right so this is what i said to don i said that a city without people in it is like a dystopian future that somehow this is what is left behind and i so we were talking about how can you even call a cafe a cafe if a person is not inside it drinking coffee because if you, if there's no person in it then that cafe has no meaning and those are just some buildings it's some machines it's some chairs and some tables no, and it means and... nothing right the proportion of the chairs the ratio of that to the table the, the height of where you stand and buy your coffee it's all made for people and people scale and with and it's also made for use so i do find it in fact when i see drawings of places without people the first thing that hits me is what is left out and and it 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 i notice what is not there before i notice what what the drawing is about uh, a little bit different from when people look up i can see when people draw domes and they draw skylines and that's what attracted them but when you're drawing at street level uh it is always amazing when you don't draw people i i i also really um i think what attracts me about drawing people one i'm very interested in people and people's stories they're also small stories i'm always interested in the small story less the big grand story and also like in a sort of a more a craft or technical way i love um i love this challenge that um what we what what i'm trying to capture is a moving energy field three dimensional world and i'm putting it down on a still flat surface and to convey in this very contradictory surface this idea I, I, when i draw my people i want them to look like they will get up and leave or that they are moving i i want you to feel what that is and the fact that my medium actually doesn't allow for that i love that challenge the challenge of making people move in a very still medium and i think when you use this contradictory medium it actually it's difficult to capture motion but it also gets noticed like if i have a video camera and i uh, photograph people walking on a street nobody says wow they look like they're walking because the medium allows for motion but when you draw people and you have a drawing and they look like they're in motion people notice the motion and that's that's what i love about the medium yeah and i think just by emphasizing that aspect of your scene you bring attention to the fact that it is in this medium that is otherwise the opposite of that kind of dynamic activity and that's that's like a beautiful contrast that comes out uh so but when you started drawing people were you at first intimidated as well because i've i've like i've also given a workshop specifically about drawing people in busy landscapes and only focusing on the people and only focusing on dynamic dynamic activities but there's a lot of initial hesitation a lot of which that i also used to feel in previous years what what was it like for you when you started you know you wanted to draw people but you weren't necessarily 
confident about it so uh when i started drawing like i said i started drawing at home and uh is limited subjects and um the main people i was around was two kids so i drew them uh i i have to say i just drew them now do i draw did i draw good portraits of them were they well proportioned no were they awkward drawings yes but i was um i was just drawing them um and i'm also actually quite subject agnostic so i will i will draw whatever i'll draw the mess on my desk i'll draw i'll draw whatever but people is among the things i'll draw and i can't say i knew that um, people i draw people i also draw other things i think a lot of people don't draw people and i first heard this idea that hey you draw people from other mm-hmm. people it was it was <laughs> because i think because a lot of people don't draw people so Uh, that's when i noticed oh people don't draw people because i drew people i also draw stuff i don't have um a, i'm equal opportunity about subjects right that's such a good point it's not like you only draw people it's just that because of the fact that other people don't that yours come into focus or seem prominent and you know a, a lot of things are by contrast for example um i would say that it is only i've always drawn uh it's only after i've lived in the us that people have noticed uh, the color i use in my work that's by contrast to what is culturally the amount of color you use never in india would you have noticed how much color is in my drawing is just it's cultural to be living in more color more pattern uh, so i think it's contextual the fact that i am like people notice my color mhm is is that also a way that you intend to use it how because your relationship with color in your work is very interesting you highlight a lot of things but uh, you use it almost to increase the contrast yes i so often in urban sketching i will if i'm working very fast i will use color to do light and shade i mean everything that's not the shade will probably be just white it's one swab of color that's a quick way for me to work uh but more and more i'm uh, sort of aware of the emotive power of color so when i want to use color i'm bumping up something it's not so much to realistically match the color or something so i'm always amazed when people say what shade of what shade of pink matches that pink sandstone i don't know but when i see it in the sunlight i want to bump it up to let you see how the sun hit it so um yeah color definitely has emotive value for me and i'm trying to make it uh so so i think with the art um art is a language but it's open to bigger interpretation than say when we speak in english right because we have specific words for specific things so when i want to convey an emotion i have to uh, bump up the volume on it so if i want you to know this is happy i can't say happy i have to up the happiness and that's what i try to do with color um so it definitely has that quality for me it that's very interesting uh also for anybody who uses both color and line work because you do so much work with fountain pen nibs so i'm very curious about the you know the the flow with which they work do you find that if you say that art is a language do you find that you speak it with different uh types of grammar so so there's definitely a a way that comes more easily to me i always think there are line people and shape people <laughs> and uh i my first language will be line 
always, always. It comes to me more easily to see the the contour that holds something. Uh, I have over time taught myself to see the other way too because I like the dance of the two of them. But it's definitely something that I have worked on very, very much thinking about it over the years. When, when um, I am not thinking, it's much easier to work fully in line. So yeah, I think there are line people and shape people, but you can always, like with anything else, there might be a, what comes instinctually to you, but there's always the ability to build up the other. And I do like now that I can sort of dance back and forth. It makes for, it makes for a dance on the paper. I enjoy that, um, t- the, two, uh, the two ways of seeing, talking to each other. Mm, yeah, yeah, right. And do you often experiment with different ways to do these colors and these lines? Very much so, very much so. I will try not to do uh, a default way two times. Like even if I'm in a, say, a life drawing session and I'm working in line and color, if I did my first one all line or line first, I'll switch it up and think the other way. I I, I also find because, you know, because I'm drawing... Um, because I'm drawing a lot in the same environment or in my locality or now in COVID drawing so much at home to be able to take a subject and do it 10 different ways really it's like 10 different subjects so it does it does to to have this sort of elbow room to experiment sideways I think is great and and over time you do get more comfortable even with things that um you have not thought you'd get comfortable with. Like one of the things that's taken me, really taken me time to work with is working in monochrome and working on value. So that's something I I have, uh, it's been in the back of my mind to work on for years. And it's, I can see myself getting much more comfortable using just monochrome, not no color sometimes and thinking very much more about value. Uh, sometimes we use color almost as a substitute for uh, for value because coming to an understanding of value is harder than coming to an understanding of how colors contrast yeah per- perhaps so because I do I color did come to me before value because I don't have a formal training in uh you know like a formal fine art education so I never did I never did sit and draw those the cone and the square all in white shaded nicely to get your gray tones no never did any of that yeah, I was. I remember speaking to uh, Shari about this exact thing, and we were talking about how different ways uh, exist to make drawing from a reference picture more interesting. And she suggested that you can change the picture to monochrome, and then that becomes a lesson in monochrome for you to try. Or and then we were talking about how also when you make any piece, say you make a color piece, but if you can take a picture of it and convert that to monochrome then that tells you about your usage of values. And good paintings would work in the monochrome version in a certain way as well. And, and you know, one of the first times uh, somebody actually told me this was uh, one of my favorite urban sketchers, Fred Lynch. And he works a lot in just a sepia tone. And he's um, he talks about this pretty often. He's colorblind. So he does see color, but not all color. And he actually reads pictures in monochrome. And so he told me that, you know, what what works is this chaos you create, you know, because I, I always drew lots of people. But if you see it in monotone, sometimes the chaos doesn't hold together. So see it in monotone, try drawing in monotone. And 
it's something I've really valued and worked with for, I think, I think he told me this maybe five or six years ago. I love what you said about it. Uh, like how uh, the reference to chaos, because when you have a, say you have a picture, a picture packs so much information. It tells you exactly where everything is. It, the geometry is exactly correct. The colors are exactly correct. The effect of light and shadow is exactly as it is. So it's a lot of information that you are giving to somebody to look at. And maybe they have sometimes, you know, in we're sharing our work on social media. So maybe somebody has three seconds that they are going to give your drawing. But a photograph then gives so much information that it's it's a lot of chaos to throw on someone. But a drawing and perhaps monochrome in a different way from, say, even just a line drawing, it cuts down a lot of this information That's right. and discards a lot of things that the artist does not want to bring attention to mm -hmm. or doesn't care for personally. And so it's a very distilled form of information that you are passing on then. Sure, sure. And, and, and sort of distilling it to simplicity is one way to go. But, you know, with me, simplicity is never where I end up. But I do enjoy walking this knife edge of, like, I love energy. There is chaos. But how do you walk that so that the chaos isn't completely falling apart where you don't have a visual path through something so so it's a balance I'm I'm not happy to just simplify and give you give you a distillation I want you to feel the energy and the chaos but how do I keep it from going too far it's it's very interesting to me this idea of walking that fine line it's, it's a kind of energy I do enjoy I do enjoy this high energy but how do I communicate it without overwhelming you and uh yeah, it's interesting. It's also challenging for me. So I'm not happy if I know I'm going to end up with a drawing in a certain place. Uh, I like this. I like this. Um, the very uh, not sure I'll end up in the right place. Not I mean, this non guaranteed result form way of drawing. Uh, it keeps me on my toes. And that's what I, I think has sustained me drawing for 11 years now. Every drawing is an adventure in a sense, because you don't know exactly where it will go, but you, from experience, you sort of have the idea that you know you'll go to a good place. That's right. And and me, and also maybe not, you know, so you get this thing, people often ask whether you get better at drawing. I think you get better at the craft and you start raising the bar on what you want a drawing to be. Uh, but the number of drawings I consider that worked I feel it's been the same for me from the beginning I'd say maybe if two in ten I feel I got where I wanted to that's my hit rate in the beginning of drawing and it's still what it is now I think the bar of what I expect is we keep upping our standards yeah like when I started if you could tell that what I drew was a person and not an animal that's a yay and then if you could tell if it's a child or an adult versus you know that's yay then man or woman then I wanted you to tell if they're walking or standing and now I want you to feel how they feel or notice their character you know so it's it's you're always changing what you expect of a drawing uh, and so the hit rate doesn't change but um, what happens is at some point it becomes an addiction or a habit to draw and then then the then the number of successful drawings doesn't matter so much
Yeah. So you've been uh, drawing for, let's say, 11, 12 years that you've been urban sketching. Have you also been communicating in words? Like, have you been blogging and talking about your art also since that much time? So I started quite long ago. In fact, I looked it up because, you know, I was talking to you and I checked out and 17 March 2009, first blog post. So the first blog post was four lines to myself. It didn't include a picture. And here's why I started blogging. I said, i I love to draw, I like making things, and I was wondering whether recording them like this would make me draw more or or feel more accountable to myself. And that's what the blog was for. I think that's still primarily why I blog, uh, especially because I draw on any surface, right? And I rarely scan my work, but what I'll do is I'll immediately take a picture of it and then who knows where it ends up. A lot of it on my bookshelf, but some things some things I've never found again. So what it is, it's always in the beginning, it used to be on Flickr. I started blogging, but some other things came out of blogging. One, the ability to put words to pictures. So I think pictures is a primary language for me. Translating to words uh, has taken learning. And I think it's helped me a lot with things like teaching because it's one thing to draw, it's another thing to teach because you have to translate these things you do almost instinctually and make them into processes. Yeah, right. It's very interesting uh, to look at this from the same point of view that Shari had, because she's also been blogging, I think, almost the same time as you. She's a a long time, yes. Yeah, and she was talking about how when she goes into a drawing, sometimes she's aware that later she's going to want to talk about it. So she uses that as a way to look for something interesting again. Like you mentioned, doing that dance, it's almost like you are walking on a trapeze as a trapeze artist while juggling. So the excitement of wanting to talk about what exactly you are flipping through the air and what you're doing makes you want to do those new exciting things. So yeah, it is. It is. I do find the blog keeps me sort of accountable in that way. Like if I look back and my last five posts is all the same thing, doing the same thing over and over. I know I'm just doing safe stuff. I'm doing and and it shows and for me it's a personal history but uh, yeah it does it does help to know you will talk about it um, interestingly it doesn't keep me from doing things that completely fail and I will blog anything uh, but but I like that and and actually like speaking of that I think it's related and we haven't brought this up but this idea of um, in the idea of an instructor or somebody who teaches as urban sketching defines it i think to me coming from india was very new and i'll tell you why um so the most refreshing part about being an urban being an instructor and an urban sketcher is that i can be an instructor and you are in my workshop and then it's done and we turn around and i am a student in your workshop and your instructor and this sort of flexibility of it uh is something that's fantastic. It's a really flat process. If I have something to teach, you come learn from me. Then we turn around and I come. It's uh, so refreshing. I think especially coming, uh, maybe it's a Western concept because it's really different from the idea of an instructor or a teacher in India. There is this hierarchy and, and I'm never fond of hierarchies, but there's this hierarchy where you get put on a pedestal as a teacher, but you don't flip to being a student unless you consider somebody higher up. 
Exactly right. I think this notion of higher and lower is very damaging in this respect because again, it brings into question a lot of questions of, you know, self-worth. If you suffer from an imposter complex, you might never be able to assume the role of an instructor in that kind of a setting. And if you suffer from the opposite, you might never be able to assume the role of a student in this so kind of setup. So actually the first time, uh, so the first year I ever went to a symposium, I went as a correspondent. And the next, I was thinking, I want to go again. And I, I think I was talking to Gabby Campanero and I said, I would like to go. And he said, have you ever considered putting in a workshop proposal? And I said, no, 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 I'm not a teacher yet. I never taught. And he said, no, if you have something you think you can put into words and explain to somebody and somebody's interested in learning that, you can teach. And it was a really new concept to me because it took out all this hierarchy. I just have to have something somebody else is interested in learning that I want, I am able to teach. And it, what if it also took away for me is I don't think I ever want to be the sort of teacher I thought you have to be when I grew up, you know, in an Asian culture, when you're a teacher, I feel for the most part, you give up being a student. And I am never, ever giving up that privilege. The privilege of being a student is huge. And um, this flexibility in this flat process allows you to always stay a student. And that's so important. Whether you're an instructor to a teacher to, you still remain a student. That's 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 exactly it. And that's why it feels like both sides lose something in a hierarchical setup. Sure, sure. And that's one of the most beautiful aspects of urban sketching for me as well. And what I saw in seminars and symposiums was a bit like an academic conference in that if you have an interesting idea or if you have something nice to share with people, you can share it with them, you can share it with them irrespective of their position in the hierarchy or how you perceive their position above you or below you. Your audience can include people who have decades more experience than you. And they can come to you for, with questions which you will have the answer to. And that feeling is such an empowering feeling because it not only gives you so much, but it also gives you a responsibility that if you have a good idea, that you can stand with it and that it's worth expressing it to people. If you have a nice sketch or a nice way that you sketch it, people are curious to hear about it and they would like to hear from you. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It's it's very... If you have something to share and you know how to share it, it's shareable, which is which takes away so much of the pressure of this idea of when you are a teacher and what qualification you need to be a teacher. So yes, I, I really like that about urban sketching. It's been, if, if somebody wants to learn what you do and you can, and, and it is a skill to figure how to teach something that you do sort of instinctually. But that's all. You have to figure that bit out. You don't have to hit some marks somebody came up with to be a teacher. But I'm paraphrasing for sure here, but it always reminds me of this thing Matthew Brim once said. And I, I don't think he said it to me, but he's written about it. And it's something that's sort of cemented in my head now that teaching is the quickest, quickest way of learning. Because you, and, and I find that, you know, even now in COVID, I'm teaching, but the amount of uh, sort of going back and figuring out how you do, why you do, how you will communicate this to somebody who doesn't instinctually see or think this way, how you will bring this to them is is a super learning process, even for me who does this same stuff. 
and that brings me to such an interesting aspect of uh, your relation with urban sketching in that how you've communicated that through a few books. Mm-hmm. So I'm very curious to know how you went through the process of putting those thoughts together, how you thought about what you want to say and how that should look when it's Interesting. together in a book. So are you talking about, because I do have a book that's releasing soon in the urban sketching uh handbook series and it's a handbook for beginners so one I've been teaching now for about six or seven years and I taught before that I taught graphic design but not urban sketching and uh, also what I did though is I sent out about 100 questionnaires more than I sent out lots of questionnaires I got 100 replies from urban sketchers in different parts of the world I sent it to many USK chapters and I particularly ask for beginner sketchers what their fears are what's intimidating because it's I have a one-person experience on being a beginner and I have five people I can ask that might be beginners, but there is power in what you see as um, the collective and what really intimidates them. And I I do use uh, that as sort of an entryway to what I address in my book because it might not be the same as, like, like many people fear drawing outside and fear drawing people. Neither of these were my initial fears. I, I didn't think about it. But that doesn't mean it isn't a super common one. So I did try and writing what is not a new subject, you know, how to draw from observation on location, but through the lens of what people found particularly difficult about starting as urban sketchers. So uh, it's really about refiguring content and thinking of some strategies for breaking down the steps. Like you never have to straight away sit in a cafe and draw or stand in a busy street and draw. Draw things in your house, draw out of your window, uh, find ways to like one of the ways I tell people to draw in a cafe is to go sit in the back of the cafe and draw somebody against the windows where they're backlit, they become just a silhouette. You know, it takes away all these drawing features and stuff and you draw big silhouettes and also you aren't seen when you're sitting in the back of a cafe you're much less observed and and so it's baby steps towards doing what will with practice become you know you'll become confident at so it was just strategies for getting you to where I'd like you to get but knowing what you told me you are afraid of what are the what are some of these interesting things that do intimidate people can you share some of these fears that beginners have so so definitely big ones is uh, things like just sitting outside. What about the fact that people will look at my page? Uh, you know, now, from experience, I can tell you whether you draw well or badly, wherever you are in the journey, people are delighted to see somebody drawing outside. I, I want to just interject at this point to add that that is the reason why I call my art sneaky art because I used to be so ashamed of somebody possibly looking over my shoulder and <laughs> seeing me draw my terrible drawings. <laughs> but it's, it's but over time you see that nobody, I mean, they're just amazed that you draw. Um, so, so definitely that one takes coming to. Another one I think is hard is, for sure it's hard to draw moving objects. So that's something you address in baby steps. And it's not something you should do the first time you step out. If you've never drawn outside, draw something that sits in this place. I say go draw the fire hydrant on your corner it's a good place to start to stand there and draw it another one that 
I think is really hard for people is what to draw. There is so much when you're standing outside. And for that, you know, you can break up things into compositions. But the main idea is that anything carries a story, right? So begin with a little corner instead of saying, I have to draw this vista. So I try addressing things like that. These, these, these are the big ones. These are the three big ones. Drawing outside, fear of drawing people, and also uh, the fact that there is so much. What do you capture? Yeah, and I had so many of those fears myself. And finding the Urban Sketchers group for me was like this big revelation moment. And I thought that I'm just the idea that I'm not the only one doing this silly thing. Yeah. And that there are more people. It gave me the courage to think that why can't I take my watercolors out? I yeah. can take my watercolors. Look at these people. They're sitting of on course. the side of the sitting street in the with street. everything I mean, sprawled out. <laughs> you don't know how many times I've been removed from the, you know, because I will sit on the pavement in the middle of anywhere. Right. And so... I'm I'm removed like they the cops here in San Jose they will move you if you're if they think you're some a homeless squatter they'll remove anybody and so me and the homeless guy I sit with and he chats with me while I draw both of us uh-huh. get kicked out of where we are so <laughs> yeah it it happens all the time but uh, yeah it's something you get used to after a while uh huh so when you communicate urban sketching to people who say they're interested in drawing but they don't know how to go about it. You know, mm-hmm. like so many people who we used to draw when they were children and then you grow up and then you have to do these important life things. Yes. And so <laughs> the first thing you drop is your uh, personal hobbies. Yes. And then art goes out the window. But so there are people who want to draw and people who maybe relate to it in many different ways and they like all kinds of different art. How do you, how do you pitch urban sketching to them? Okay, so I'll, I'll talk about pitching urban sketching as something to say to people but I think that one of the biggest thing you can do to pitch urban sketching is be out there on the street urban sketching because people you know you can tell people things to like you can tell them forever but they don't see this happen they don't see an adult outside with a drawing book They just don't see them. So for me to be outside and I'm not a kid and I am drawing with a pencil and a marker and a pen in a book, I think that itself says something because I could tell them that lots of people do this, but they never see anybody. So why should they believe me? So I think just being out there, you're being an ambassador for your art. But also I think that for me, me, drawing in a book is easy. It is not a canvas. It is not your idea of what a finished painting is. And nobody needs to see it. In fact, in the first year, I went back to drawing. So I tried getting back to drawing many times. And it lasts a bit. And this is before the 11 years. It lasts a bit. And then life takes over. And I think part of what is so hard is if you've been like me and you drew earlier and then you dropped it, when you first go back to it, it does not look good. And you are your worst critic. So the the time I, I stuck is I drew for a good few months without ever reviewing what I drew. And I think this is something to say to people to draw. Turn the page. Draw again the next time they come. Just draw. And draw whatever is around you. I think it, if you teach people a little bit about observation drawing, like just 
walking a contour line across a page and following what you see and not what you think you see. Uh, they could go for months on this one process and fill books. And as long as you don't review it, finish a book, then flip through it and you will see what you can. First of all, even without skill level or without uh, thinking of it as art, you will see the collection of what you put in that book. You will see the documentation. This is not art. This is still just the, the volume of documentation. And then definitely, if you fill the whole book, you will see progress. So I think sometimes it takes, you know, crafts are little things that take hand skill is a little bit different from cerebral learning. Just because you know it doesn't mean you do it well and you have to do over and over and over. And I think that's what's hard to communicate to people who have learned everything just cerebrally. Just because you understand what I tell you about drawing doesn't mean you will draw well. Right. That's that's very true. It's an overestimation of what the mind is capable of almost. Well, your mind understands quickly and then your hand is a much slower learner. So you got to put in the miles with your hand. And if you if I find a way to keep you drawing, you will get good and you will get addicted. <laughs> that's, that's so true. Donald Colley just described it in my previous conversation as... No, if you can just get them to stop caring about the results, you can show them how what they've put on the page is their own personality. And if you pursue it over these extended periods with different programs, and we're in the month of October, so it would be remiss if we did not mention uh, Inktober, which is going on right now. And that was one of the first things that uh, I did to learn how to draw better. And I failed and I gave up. I mean, I didn't fail in the sense of I drew badly, but I just didn't take it through till the end of October. And I failed at it and I tried it again the next year and I failed at it again that year. But <laughs> just doing this, going through these failures, these were all good failures because they got me a little bit addicted, a little more addicted the next time to this joy that you get from having drawn something. Also, this is idea about challenges, right? I also had um, that it's an on or off. If you do every day in October, you succeeded. If you didn't, you failed. And now uh, I still do October. There was a time I did every day. But now I, I count every day I do an ink sketch in October as one more than zero. So I think I might end up with 10 or 12 at the end of this month. And that's 12 more than zero. So it isn't that because I didn't do all 30 or 31, how many days in October, uh, that I didn't succeed. I did these many more than I would have done if I never took the challenge, you know. So, so sometimes it's also a question of thinking about what you do as that. Just the act of doing should be a win. Yeah, yeah. That's such a nice way to put it. And especially in this year that we are all going through, it's so important to find ways to connect to these things that make us happy. And these things that help us to find happiness, again, it's so important to emphasize this. I want to keep saying it, that it's not just happiness at the end of having done something, but it's happiness in the time that you spend doing that thing. For me, if I spend an hour or two hours drawing, those hour and two hours have been spent in this beautiful, positive, meditative way. And everyone kind of needs, needs that. So I'm very happy to see how Urban Sketchers have also done so many different things to bring art and to connect through art with vast audiences. And I'm talking about uh, the kind of live drawings we used to do a little early in the lockdown, and you've done so many of them. I want to ask you how it felt to, to communicate with your audience in that way during, you know, during those early months of COVID. 
Yeah, so it was definitely new. And I have to admit, I'm a little reluctant to switch from being on location uh, to being in social in this digital social media environment that's virtual and uh one of the first actual live drawings i did i think the first one might have been with you so i wasn't an early adopter i was like oh these people are doing it looks like fun i like watching it and i not only so if it were just a question of watching two people draw online i'm not sure i would have done it but what was interesting is that people also talk while they draw and it's a conversation that is so varied and interesting um that it makes it human and that's uh you know that's what and i think i yeah you were the first person i drew with online i was like oh this looks like fun i, I should ask him if he'll do it um and in fact i also started quite early in um in COVID, a conversation with Paul Wang, who I meet every year at the symposium. And we've always talked about common uh, ideas we really like about drawing. And one of them was this idea of play. And then when COVID happened, it became, I think, especially important, this idea of play or working sideways or looking at the same thing in different experimental ways. And so this is month seven. Paul Wang and I run something called Sketching Play Lab. It's, it meets three times a week online. We have about 25 people in a session and we've been doing it and people just, you know, it's whatever you can donate, come in, we've run it. And we what we design are these little modules uh, and each of them is a different concept and we run it for about two weeks. And it's not instruction. What it is is prompts around a certain subject and uh, you get to play with them and expand. And I, and, and I really... Um, like that idea of what that did because it made we would sometimes be drawing just things on our desk or bring us a, bring an object to your desk but if you can look at it 20 different ways with 20 prompts then you can you can stay with fresh eyes even though your world has become small you can enlarge it by looking at things in different ways and i i feel this this has become really important as as our lives yet have not gone back to what they were, right? And it's a way to sustain and remain curious until, I mean, I will love to be out on location drawing again. But until then, this this keep keeping from becoming jaded and losing the ability to um, wonder is important. Uh -huh. So one of the early ones we did, one of the first things we explored is different qualities of line. Another one we did is unconventional tools where we are drawing but nothing can come from an art kit. You can bring things from your kitchen. You can bring things from other parts of your house, but you draw with them. And so you have, I, we have these whole drawings done with forks and with, uh, and people even, some people take that strictly and they won't, uh, won't bring pigment to it. We had, we had uh, Rob Sketcherman in one do drawing with um, toothpicks and Nutella. And, <laughs> Those were his two tools and it was fantastic. It was great fun. So so people will take it places and it's it's fun. And also when you um when you bring play things, then you don't expect art results. And that's super freeing. It's that's such a beautiful thing to say. It's so like it just puts a load off your shoulders. I remember what I said to people in the start of my workshop last year in USK Chicago. I told them that for the next three hours. Uh, you are all going to make bad art. Just tell yourselves this so that you don't get hung up over drawing things in 30 seconds. 
It's every <laughs> workshop for me. First, the expectation, taking it off my shoulders and yours, is that nothing out of this workshop will ever go on your walls. In fact, maybe it won't go in your social media either. Yeah, right. Exactly. And people need to allow themselves to do that. Yes. And just this permission thing is such a big deal. And we always think that we are above it or we have understood that it exists. So we are not beholden to it anymore. But over and over consistently, the biggest value that I find in the USK community, and I look at the Facebook page often to get inspiration, but just I think what I'm looking for is that I'm looking for permission that I can also try this thing. And I can also try that little trick that I saw somebody in Budapest try and it looks so good. And oh, maybe I can do this thing with color or this thing with no, a line. No, it's fantastic. I mean, you can look at your feed every day and be inspired by somebody's subject or the tools they used. Or you can even sometimes, you know, when I'm out of ideas, I will say, what if I am, say, Don, for a sketch I'm making and then my fingers go onto my paint and, you know, I can just be my version of somebody and see what, what that brings to a picture. It's fun. And, and there's always permission to be inspired by, it's not called copying. It's you, you pick an idea somebody has, run with it, make it your own. Yeah. It's totally fine. Like there are so many different things people are doing. There's the, there are these, the USK talks we had and we've heard from so many people do draw alongs, people talking, sharing their sketchbooks, mm -hmm. people sharing these uh, little workshops also. So uh, do you, do you feel that the USK community has almost come together in such a strong way because of being denied this, 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 you know, this joy that we all have of being able to go outside? I, yeah, so without ever having to, I, I will admit I'm the first one to say I really admit meeting in person on location. And I have so missed the symposium this year. And a lot of that is for the people I would have met. I mean, I would have been in uh, Hong Kong and I've also been in Chicago this summer. And I'm, I, I really miss those two. And I miss that uh, in person. On the other hand, you get told by people you draw with or, you know, in an online workshop over and over that they would have never made it to an on-person workshop. And so without COVID and without so many of us that are reluctant adopters of being online, like me, that have gone there, that they would never have interacted with me in this sort of personal way. It's quite personal. If you can, if you work to keep a Zoom session personal, you can. And uh, so I don't do a, ever a whole pre-recorded session. I'm there, we work together, and I like that. And so definitely there has been the side angle of the fact that people who could not travel, travel is expensive to somewhere in the world, and also you just might not be able to do travel at that extent. So a lot of that community has come forward, which is nice. It's, again, flattening that idea of who can interact with you. Yeah, that's so true. And using using this time it's feels to me like almost the community has uh has enmeshed itself deeper with each other like people who are who would have been reluctant to speak before now recognize that in-person opportunities are increasingly rare and so they are trying to reach out to each other and that's made that's that's something actually that has made this podcast possible i just i started it partially for the reason that i'm not getting to do these amazing conversations that have taught me so much at these 
meetups and seminars. And I think about all the people, like I'm fortunate in my position that because I was in Chicago at the right time, that I was able to attend a seminar. And so I've been able to instantly meet so many great people who do urban sketching. But I think of thousands of people who are just getting into this habit and then you're struck with COVID and this association is just gone to you. And this these connections are are, are torn apart in a sense, the, the physical connection. So it makes it more important for us to talk about it, to talk about where we uh, where we come from and how we came to come to urban sketching. Mm-hmm. I also feel that we are sharing more, like sharing processes, sharing what we are playing with just now, sharing what we are experimenting, because we are not going to be sharing that with somebody sitting next to us drawing. And that's, I think that's super valuable. I see so many people uh, experimenting more with their work right now. People who have established styles or subjects that they were known for playing with things outside what is considered you know their specialty I like that because it's you get to see people stretch and do other stuff too and that's that's really nice so let's end on this note of playing with things with my final question and it's about your art that I've seen most recently just before this interview started I was looking at your Instagram and your Facebook and I saw these drawings that you've made on vacation and they're off the, the beach beach side. Sure. And no people on it. It's just the... No people. I, there the, were it's no just people. Nature. <laughs> so I was surprised to see that art from Suhita because Suhita is the person who draws people as we have discussed. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, so one, I live in suburbia. Even before COVID, I had to get out to where there are people. I might never see a person out of my window. So I would get out there. Now there are far fewer of these gatherings. And when I go away for a break, I'm not going into a city. I'm going into a nature reserve. Uh, and so I do enjoy those, but I, I have to always challenge myself to do something else. So I've been doing these really inky drawings of trying to capture a lot of, um, to me, what is the emotive value of a landscape. So to me, those, you know, I was drawing on the coast of California, which often, I know everybody thinks of it as sunny beaches, but where I was, it's craggy cliffs and the fog is always coming in. So I'm playing a lot with ink and uh, using my spray bottle actually to spray away ink. And sort of giving up control and letting it become a mess. Uh, so always a challenge, something new to play with. Um, I do miss my people drawing, but I, but I do, I do like a good challenge. So I, it's not a process I have too many words for right now. Words come for me when I have a process more down. But it's something I'm definitely experimenting with. That's that's really nice to hear that we can take these adversities and we can still find a way to find something positive to do with them and to express them. And finding new challenges is always such a great thing to be able to do with urban sketching. Thank you so much, Suhita, for this conversation. Great. This has been fun. It's always fun to talk to you. And it's nice that it just feels like sitting and chatting. So thank you. This was a very interesting conversation and I hope it had some useful insights, lessons, inspirations and ideas for you as well. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the things that we spoke about. So reach out to me on Instagram or Twitter or email me at nishant at sneakyartist.com. I will put together some reflections, a transcript of this conversation 
as well as related links on my website. So in case you feel like that was a lot of information and you don't quite remember some of the things we spoke about, just visit my website at sneakyartist.com slash podcast. Join me next time for a trip around the world with the remarkable stories and sketchbooks of Louise Simoes, also known on Instagram as World Sketching Tour. It looks like it might be my longest episode recorded yet, so I'm also curious to hear what you think of the length of these conversations that I'm having. Do you listen to them at one go or do you like to have a small break or maybe two breaks in the middle? I think it might be interesting to listen to these episodes while you're drawing, so I'm curious to know if any of you have had that experience and would like to share what that's like. I'm very glad for your attention. Your enthusiasm helps me drive this show. So do share with me what you think and I hope you'll join me again for the next episode. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm.